Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Well, my name is Leslie, and I am from Salon Sluice. I do this with my co-host, Melissa. She is not here with us today. And we are basically, um, we take stories that people tell us from the salon. It could be anything from true crime to mysteries to just about anything. Um, we're, we're pretty open people, and um, we just like to investigate and get more nitty-gritty when it comes to the more information about stuff, so... Cool. Kind of similar to you. We love like the creepy. I love the creepy. I love scary movies. Um, I was really disappointed. I watched one last night and it was not so good. But Which one? <laughs> it was called The Monster. I haven't heard of that one. It, it was on Netflix. Um, it wasn't that great. The Monster was actually really cheesy. Um, that sucks. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was <laughs> stupid. What's your guys' favorite movie? Scary movie. Ooh. Well, I love the classic Halloween just because yeah. I love the music and I love the ambiance and it was a kind of original slasher film. So it's always been my favorite. What about you, Carol? Yeah. You know, I have so many of them. It's hard to choose a favorite, but I think most recently I saw Babadook. Yeah. It's a kind of <laughs> like a European horror film and I thought it was going to be super cheesy, but I was actually really scared. Is that like, was it, monster, that would have the closet? box? It has like, um, no, it has a book where the child reads through it. And at the end, Babadook comes for you. Babadook. And it's like, it's like the monster at the end of the book. Yes. Okay. Super scary. What was though. the movie with the um, the box? Do you remember the, it was like a box and it supposedly made people sick. And then they, do you know anything about that? Because it originated, it, it happened here in Portland. Oh, the Divic box. Yeah. Like Carol, did a, Carol did a story on the Dybbuk box just a couple episodes back. Okay. I'm going to have to go listen to that one. Yeah. I thought that was really, super interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty creepy, in fact. Um, yeah. Tell her about the guy who owns it now. Well, the guy who owns it now has a museum full of different, you know, haunted artifacts. But he bought it, um, and it's just causing all kinds of problems. He films, you know, what's going on. This whole documentary has been made about it. Um, and it's really spooky because everybody now wants to order Dybbuk boxes online. And yeah. what they don't realize is that some of these boxes, um, really do have demonic, uh, you know, spells on them. And then some of them are just fake. So you're just wasting your money, but you never know what you're really going to get. So you guys did some research on the Piddock Mansion. Did. So the Piddock Mansion, um, us local Port Portlanders know the Piddock Mansion is a very famous mansion here in Portland. Um, it got constructed from 1909 to 1914. Um, it has 16,000 square feet and 46 rooms, and it sits on 46 acres of property in the West Hills of Portland. The views from the mansion on a clear day, you can see Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams, Mount Rainier, and Mount Jefferson. 
So Henry Piddock came over on the Oregon Trail from Pittsburgh in 1863. He was just a teenager at the time, but he wanted to experience the adventures of the West. He got a job at the local paper, The Oregonian. And then, this is a really cool part of the story, the owner of The Oregonian, he had ventured into politics. President Lincoln decided to name him the U.S. Commissioner to the Kingdom of Hawaii. So... So he was like, bye, going to Hawaii. <laughs> and then he like looked around and threw the keys over to Henry Piddock and said, the paper's yours, I'm out of here. So Henry Piddock took over the Oregonian and started writing the newspaper. Um, he did, he actually, after he took over ownership of the newspaper, he married his sweetheart. Um, he was 25 and he married his 15-year-old girlfriend, Georgiana, which is, you know, um, there and ready and she's like you're the owner of the Oregonian now let's get together and he's like sure so um, he was feeling pretty big for his britches he decided to summit Mount Hood a couple of times and he started a bicycle club which is probably one of Portland's first and he actually started the first paper mill in the area as well his wife Georgiana became a philanthropist and she helped start the Portland Rose Society which in turn began the Portland Rose Festival that we celebrate every June in Portland so after Georgina and Henry passed away, the Piddock Mansion stayed in the family until about 1958 when two of the descending grandsons decided they wanted to sell the home because they could not keep up with the maintenance costs. However, they had no luck. Nobody had the money to buy it. So they kept it. And then in 1962, the home took on a great deal of damage from the famous Columbus Day storm. Uh, the grandsons were thinking they were just going to tear it down when the city stepped in and stopped it. The people of Portland managed to raise 75000 in three months to save the mansion. Soon after that, the city of Portland bought the home from the grandsons for $225,000, which is not much, but I guess in 1962, that was some real change. There's also been a number of films done at the Piddock Mansion. There's a movie called The First Love um, in 1970. It's a romance starring Susan Day from the Partridge family and William Catt. There's another movie called Unhinged, which was a slasher film that was banned in several countries. The Haunting of Sarah Hardy, uh, which starred Mar Morgan Fairchild and Celia Ward, came out in 1989. And of course, Body of Evidence, starring William Defoe and Madonna, came out in 1993. I remember that because I was a senior in high school when they were shooting it, and I was looking all over Portland for Madonna. Actually, also, The Amazing Race finished its 13th season at the Piddock Mansion. It was the finish line. Uh, that was all kind of interesting trivia about the house. So, Carol, tell us why it's haunted. You know, I really like the Piddock Mansion. Uh, it's a popular place to go tour. And in touring it, they tell you all about you know, the background of Georgiana and Henry. And the sad thing is, is that after they built this house, they were pretty uh, getting up there in the age. And so they only actually lived in the house for a total of five years. And so the theory goes that the Piddocks weren't ready to leave their beautiful home and they still haunt the place. There's so many different reports of people seeing paranormal activity, hearing paranormal activity. The main thing is the smells. So Georgiana, because her favorite flower was the rose, tourists say they can smell roses in certain areas of the house. People have seen full body apparitions of the groundskeeper and also the couple wandering around. 
And I've toured this place a couple times. I didn't feel anything strange until I went into the caretaker's home on the property. And it just had a really different feeling to me than the main home. But I wouldn't say it was scary. It just felt more sad, probably because um, they're making him in the afterlife still take care of the property. But let me tell you, the caretaker's home is bigger than most people's homes today. So I don't think he had it too badly working for them. It is also said that um, reports of portraits and paintings, they'll move on their own. People have seen riding boots walking around the grounds without legs. And that could be the caretaker or Henry because Henry was a big mountain uh, climber. He loved the outdoors. So it could be either of those two. And windows opening and shutting on their own, especially on the sleeping porches. And I've always kind of wondered what sleeping porches were. I didn't know if it was like you get locked out if you, you know, come home too late and you have to sleep on the sleeping porch. But I guess it's where you would be resting if you were sick. They thought fresh air did you a lot of good. And so they had these open sleeping porches, which I thought was kind of cool. And like most people say, the presence that they're feeling there isn't ominous, uh, but it is obvious to many who regularly spend the time at the place. There's a female employee that said just as she closed up the mansion, turning off all the lights to go home, all of a sudden the lights turned back on, all of them at once. Did you have anything to add on that? I do. Um, I think that last story about the employee who was leaving and turned off all the lights and all the lights turned back on. Usually with a haunted house, it's the opposite. It's like you turn off all the lights and all of a sudden they all go off. Right. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting yeah. that it's in the reverse. <laughs> so that's the Piddock Mansion. Awesome. Did you, So you did go actually through it and do the whole tour? I've been through it and so has Carol. Yeah, I've done it twice. Yeah, we've been You know, that's it. really funny. Um, I've never been through it, but my mom years ago was a tour guide. Oh, at the Pidoff Mansion? Yeah, but I think I must have probably been in middle school at that time, and I was never close to my mom. So I was like, whatever, you do your thing, I'll do mine, most likely. Now, if she was here, I'd be asking her all kinds of things about it. You know, right. Things are different now, but <laughs> I'm going to have to go up there and do that once everything's settled down a little. Good Christmas. Christmas is really beautiful. It's I bet so it is. I hope it's all done by then, all this mess. It's just gorgeous. When you're up there, you can see all of downtown Portland. You really have a panoramic view. And of course, you know, because they were really into gardening, it's just gorgeous with all the flowers. The city has really done a great job with replanting everything, making it really lush and green. I mean, I almost enjoyed the outdoors more than the indoors, personally. And I will say the house also has some really interesting things to see in it. Um, you know, for its time, it had a lot of luxuries. It had even an elevator that worked. And what I was struck by is in the bathroom, they had what looked like a torture device with these metal prongs coming out of the shower that looked like it was going to burn you. But it was basically like a stand-up whirlpool. Like it it shot out these massaging sprays of powerful water. And I thought, wow, that's pretty kinky or cool, depending on how you look at it. I think the ghosts spend a lot of time in that room, personally. 
Um, we are going to be talking, or I'm going to be talking about the Shanghai tunnels. Nice. Um, and it's super interesting. There's so many different things that I could talk about this. Let's go into um, the Shanghai tunnels. Um, I don't know if that was what it was actually originally called. They used to be these underground tunnels all over downtown Portland because it, we'd have these big ships that would come in. And instead of using the streets to and transport all the goods to all the different stores, they would use the underground tunnels. And so they would basically take them to the basements of all these stores underground, and then they would be able to pick up their shipments that way and then put them into the stores. That's what the tunnels were originally used for. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I don't think you would know it now, but <laughs> this is so stupid. I live in Portland. I was born here. It never occurred to me, like, port land. <laughs> like, it's an actual port. And you know what? It wasn't until I did one of those, um, you know, those water tours with the big jet boats down on the water? Yes. They're the ones that told the whole history of, like, the whole river and all of this stuff. And I was like, port, land? Okay, it, it all sunk in at that moment. <laughs> anyway, so that's the whole port land was really a boom in place. It's where a lot of stuff came in. It was much easier to bring it in on ships from the river, or, you know, using the river because it's 122 miles to the ocean versus going up and over the mountain range using whatever cars or, you know, um, wagons or whatever at that time to bring over the goods. So instead, you would just bring them on on these big ships. So that's why they were there. Then there was a little boy, um, his name was Michael Jones, and he, around 1951 is when he was born, so when he was seven years old, this is now around 1958, his dad was some sort of um, janitor. He used to clean places, and sometimes he would bring his little son, Michael Jones, with him, and this was downtown Portland, and so he was hired to maybe clean out, um, I don't know if they were stores or whatever, but he was sort of a, a janitor. His little son would come along with him, and his son was super outgoing. He would just strike up a conversation with whoever. So he met um, all kinds of friends. He befriended, a, he called him an old-timer. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if he was a homeless man or whatever, but they would start talking, and he started telling him about the history of Portland and how there's these underground tunnels, and this little boy really did not believe him. And so one day, he's like, I'll show you. So he takes this little boy. The, he doesn't even tell his dad. He just goes off with this homeless man or an old timer. And he shows them the entrance to one of these tunnels. And he's, he gives them a match. And basically he lights it, which you don't give a seven-year-old a match. And so he was like in disbelief anyway that he got it lit. And then he could see the entrance of this tunnel. And he'd been fascinated ever since. So... That's how um, Michael actually figured out these tunnels. Then his dad's like, hey, listen, I will take you over there, but you can't take run off from me. You have to, like, you know, be with me. So I think the dad really helped him, you know, and then they would um, kind of go through. And I think they were, um, like, kind of excavating and cleaning out some of these tunnels. And that's the man who originated, you know, founded the Shanghai tunnels and then all the tours. So the tours didn't actually happen until the 1990s. But, you know, he had been doing, um, you know, been down in those tunnels. He knew it very well for all those years in between the two. He was also a professor at PSU. He taught some history classes and he had, he had married a woman. They never had children, but he really was all about the history of the tunnels and really wanted to preserve what that was down there. And so a lot of times they would just go down there digging around, trying to find old, um, the history, um, things that were to prove what had actually happened while they were down there. So the story was 
basically, and I don't even know what year this could have been, where they would actually Shanghai these people. Um, there is a, I think, is it, is it Hobo? What is that restaurant? Um, yeah, Hobo's uh, Pizza Place, right? Is well, it Hobo's Pizza? I know it's a pizza place. Or did it change? Man. There's a part in that restaurant or that bar area where the floor would just drop out. This is how they would collect these people. Um, they would get them really drunk. And they would set them up in certain parts of this bar and the floor would drop drop out and nobody would know that that person was then missing because the floor would just come right back up. These people were brought down to the tunnels. They were drugged. They were they were they took their shoes so they couldn't run and then they would wake up on these ships. They were basically free labor. Now if they could live out this whole thing, maybe this ship would bring them back. But chances are most of the people that left never came back. Aww. And you know, so there is piles of shoes. There's these different dens that are down there. They almost look like little bunk beds, but it's kind of like where they were hidden down there. And I don't think they really made much noise because they gave them like, they called them the opioid ben or what do they call them? Um, dens where these people would just be all drugged out and they would just wake up on these ships and be free labor. And so it's so low under the ground that even if they tried to yell or scream, nobody's going to hear them. They're underground. They're way underground. Well, they're, you know, right below all the buildings, but it is just rock and dirt. They're dirt floors. But think about it. What's above them is a bar. So most of the time it is just loud and noisy anyway. And everyone's drunk. Everyone's doing their thing. No one's made a horror movie about that. Could you imagine being (laughs) trapped under a bar like that? No one can hear you scream. Well, I guess they filmed um, part of Grimm down there. That doesn't surprise me. And they've also, the ghost hunters have been down there, or ghost adventures. So I was really excited. I went on Instagram and I was just looking up different things. And I found two tour guides that were down there and who had been there for like 10 years working for Michael Jones. And so I had an interview with them earlier today about it. And I wanted to get some of their creepy stories, like firsthand things that they had experienced. A lot of times they worked in pairs, so there would be one person in front of the tour and the person in the back so that nobody would left, be left back there, behind mm-hmm. there, and not get hurt because there's certain areas that would maybe there'd be a dip or the beams would be low or you could hit yourself on a pipe. So there were two people down there, you know, working the crowd. And um, so one of them was this Michael Jones was being, doing the tour guide, and um, he was the founder who has now passed. He's um, passed away in March 29th of this year. Oh. And so he was doing the tour. The girl that I met through Instagram, her name is Annalise. Her stepdad was visiting from, I believe, from Idaho. He's a professional photographer. And so Michael's doing the tour, and all of a sudden he starts like coughing and kind of choking. So her stepdad takes a picture, a few pictures of him. And, um, you know, it's like, the, it's not like with your phone, it's like a real camera. So it wasn't until he was able to get back home where, you know, he downloads the pictures and he can see an arm around the guy's neck. And you can see like the side of his ear, like you no. can see his side of his face. She's going to send me that picture. If I get it, I'll forward it to you guys as well. You. But, um, yeah, so he... You know, he doesn't remember a whole lot of it. He just knew he had been choking. And so, of course, they're all freaking out. Then um, more recently, and, you know, I think she hasn't done this now for two years, but um, she um, was also very active and involved with Michael Jones. She really helps that family out, it sounds like. Still to this day, she would do anything to help her, especially since she's on her own now with Michael gone. And um, 
She said, I think it was Ghost Adventures did an episode um, in the Shanghai Tunnels, and they asked her to play a part of one of the characters they believe was down there, who happened to be a Native American woman named Nina. And somehow she had a role in the Shanghai Tunnels. So in they must have known this story through the, the Ghost Adventures because they asked this Annalise to play the part of Nina. She believes when she did the reenactment of this woman um, and for this TV show that something had clung onto her during that part of the show. Because when she was riding her bike home, she felt like there was something with her. So when she gets home and she turns on her light, the light bulb just explodes. And she's like, oh, God, what did I what did I get myself into? To where like she really thought um, this Nina was like a beautiful um you know, Native American princess, like you would think of Pocahontas, you know, with the beautiful hair and all of this. Um, when she started being able to see this woman, she would um, like, oh, she told me the story. She was in her bathroom and she felt like something on her back. She looked in the mirror and there's these big scratches on her back. And she, so she's looking um, at the reflection in the mirror of these scratches on her back and she looks in the mirror and she could see her. So she thought she was, all these stories of Nina, she thought she was this beautiful Indian princess. What she saw in the reflection, she was not pretty. She had broken teeth, her hair and her dress was like all ripped up. And so then you have to think that must be the truth because it wasn't what I imagined. So I'm imagining she thought, you know, Nina was this beautiful person. And then when you actually see her, then you know your mind's not making it up. So she sees this reflection and she, you know, of course, freaks out. It gets so bad to the point where she was sleeping. Her boyfriend was there and he woke up and saw this woman next to the refrigerator. Like he could see her. Other people are seeing her. And at the time she was going through, um, I think she said dental hygiene school and um, other students could see her with her. Oh, she she actually has to go. Um, so she did her own traditional trying to get rid of this thing on her own. She ended up having to go to a medium here locally where she was able to do, um, to be able to get her at that attachment off of her. Do you think that Nina reached out to her because, or clinged on to her because she knew she was in dental school and she needed her teeth fixed? (laughs) Well, that would make sense. It would. Um, I think she, according to Annalise, she was going through a divorce. And I feel like sometimes oh. when you're already low and your energy's not, you're not all, your game's not on all there. I think um, she was an easy target for something to cling on to her at that moment of her life because she, right. her energy was not being in the right space, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, and so she said that even when she got rid of her, um, she kind of still felt bad. She still, she liked having her, but she didn't like having her. It's like losing a part of you that had been with you for a while. She um, did miss her, but she goes, I don't want her back. There's been times where they see like a mist. um, And she goes, I know it's not dust because there's no air movement back there or down there. And when you were to kick the ground, the dirt on the ground does rise, but it doesn't rise all the way up towards like your head's. And so a lot of times they would see a mist rise or appear. She said there was this one couple, a lot of times um, because the tour starts from a bar and then they go around the corner and they go down below. A lot of times people drink a lot ahead of time. And um, there was a couple and I guess they were just like making out and they weren't like following the rules. So she's like, I was going to um, kind of embarrass them or 
you know, make them known that I need them to pay attention more. So she pushes the flashlight over to them, but above them, she's like, I could see like this mist of an outline of a person. And she goes, I feel like they were, that thing was sucking up their energy. Like it was between the two of them. And um, somebody else that was on the tour, the other tour guide saw it. And she like, I see that. (laughs) Like, and she goes, a lot of times, you know, there'll be days where nothing happens. And then there's a, a lot of activity. And I, what she did mention is after they did a lot of filming down there is when um, she feels like the spirits weren't happy with that. And there was a lot more activity and not necessarily good stuff that was happening after everybody was down there. I just can't imagine being at a bar talking to some dude and then you turn for a second and then you turn back and he's gone. <laughs> yeah. Think how many guys really thought, you know, oh, that girl's going to hate me and, and think that I just, you know, left without her. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm imagining like down there, there's, you know, some shady people that go down there now. Imagine then where, you know, it's just a place where people would, you know, stop in on their travels or whatever. And right. And maybe they work together with a bunch of groups of people. So what I was told is like sometimes they would purposely get somebody really drunk and then move them to that area of the Shanghai, you know, the floor that's just going to drop out. It's pretty fucked up. (laughs) And that's actually been uh, featured the, the, Mansion is also featured in a hunt. Oh my God, I'm starting to fall apart already. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.